That is a serious earworm, that music. <laughs> well, good morning to you. This is Arts About, as you know. Good morning, John, artist in residence and cultural sounding board. And good morning, Mark. Have we come up with a new adjective yet? Not yet. Uh, I thought um, sincerely committed. That's not bad, but not true. I thought, I thought it was absolutely true. I was going to, I was going to lay a bit of Francais on you, Mark. Bonjour, ça va? Bonjour, ça va très bien, merci. Et toi? Uh, ça va yes. bien. No, ça va oui, bien. oui. Tant mieux. Yes. Uh, now, before you chaps get into what you're talking about, mm -hmm. I had the unfortunate uh, happen chance... <laughs> To, to, to have to bank a check last Wednesday really? in Mornington, <clears throat> and I forgot. A check you found in a drawer at home or something. I forgot that it was market day. And isn't market day awful? And to all those people planning their retirements, you do not want to march up and down Mornington Main Street like Brown's cows buying scented candles and overpriced fruit, do you? Oh. So we're oh. promoting the market this week, are we? <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, who do I ask first? What do you, uh, John, what have you got on? Uh, later on, I want to talk about a, um, a trip to Hopeton, uh, but I'm going to listen to for my sting before I begin now. Right. And uh, I think we can talk about a few kind of worldwide news items beforehand, one being that the Chrysler building is on the market. I, I, I think I've only got the 20% deposit. I don't yeah. have the full amount. Yes. Yeah. Negative gearing, perhaps? Mm, mm, a lot of money. But um, you, do you know the price, John? Between $1.2 and $1.8 billion. Mm. So five Picassos, five big Picassos. Mm. Um, On that but, subject of mm. Picasso... Oh, yeah. Are you making them, John? I might, <laughs> I might bring up Peggy Guggenheim a little later. She bought her entire collection for $450,000, I believe. No, you don't just buy an entire collection. No, I mean, it added up to about that. Okay. And now, of course, it is worth billions. Yeah. Yes, but you're, but you're saying 450 in, in those dollar terms of those days. Mm, but mm. still... Yeah, it was cheaper, there's no question. Mm. In a part of the Chrysler building sale, uh, alerted to me to one of the great deals of all time, <clears throat> I think, which is where Mr Chrysler built the Chrysler building, and uh, he used his own money to do so. <clears throat> but he didn't have any land in New York. And uh, he wanted to build it in the middle of New York. He didn't have any land there. Uh, and there was a charming little public school in the middle of New York. And he went and saw them and he said to them, look, why don't you move your school? I'll build my building here and I'll rent the land off the school. And the Chrysler building, if you buy it, you're not buying the land underneath it. You're only buying the, the walls. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's often the case in France as well. Right. You're buying the, the walls, they say, but you're not buying the actual land. Yeah. So and this little school, which still still survives... Is the owner of that... Has title. Owns the land that the Chrysler hmm. building is on and is, rents it for $35 million a year. 
And I was thinking, we used to have a couple of school fates at the Sorrento Primary School. We'd raise about 600 bucks for the year. <laughs> so you a little way to go. John, that's the case in the, why the Duke of Westminster in, in mm. London is the wealthiest man in the world. Oh, in no. London, sorry. Because he he had all the sheep pastures in Chelsea and or, yeah. on King's Road. And it's all leased to people. They're, when you buy, you buy a 99-year lease, which is the case in China as well, which is why yes. the Chinese like to buy here. Because they get the, you know, they, they actually own the building, whereas in China you only get a 99-year lease, yeah. as in London. Yes, what? Gerald Grosvenor. The, the, the Grosvenor. Mm, Grosvenor. The Grosvenor motto is rent never sell. <laughs> They've owned most of SW1 for hundreds of, of years. years. They came over with the conquest. Yes. Okay, very as good. You, uh, look, we really got to get a wiggle on now. As you Why? know, where are we going in a hurry? Oh, well, well, we haven't spoken about what I'm going to talk yeah, to I, you guys about. Or as well. what I would like to finish with. Oh, I beg your pardon. Well, well that will no, be later. No, well, maybe John does want to cap Finish it off. then? No, I just wanted to mention that poor woman in America who was dragged to the ground and... By her dash hounds. Slaughtered. Oh, no, they weren't her dash hounds. Eight sausage dogs, her neighbours' sausage dogs. They made mincemeat out of her. Well, can you imagine that happening to you? Are we going to. It's like the death of a thousand cuts. Yeah. Are we going to talk about that a little later as well, or is that just a little throwaway? Oh, okay. Just be careful of your dash hounds or your neighbours' dash hounds. I've always always known they were nasty little animals. They are nasty, yeah. That does. Sawn off. Very trendy. Mm. They are lovely. They can be lovely. Anyway, I wanted to know do you, either of you remember your first kiss? Uh, so you can, you can sit on that, and uh, I'm going to be talking about kissing in more biological ways than romantic ways. So it's a quite interesting subject. Sounds very sexy. Yeah, it could be, but it's no. I'm quivering with anticipation. <laughs> Are we going to do like fake radio kisses? You know how they, no, they kiss the top of their palm apparently. In the, in the old radio days with the yes. bit of wood and the wind yeah, machine, yeah, yeah, and they yeah, go, oh, darling, it worked very well. I, are we clear? Are we ready to start the let's show? Start. Are we ready to sort of uh, oh, set, let's get rolling? Set then. this puppy free. This is a song for Sally, who is currently sort of wheeling around the, the horn, the Cape of Good Hope. I think they might be stuck you? in the bay somewhere wondering when the wind's going to change. <laughs> Start the engines, Will. Start the <laughs> engines. Anyway, this is for Sally. I'm afraid I'm going to have to bring that song down, chaps. It was uh, going on a bit, wasn't it? That, that, of course, is a top hit from the B-List brought to you by station manager Brendon. Thanks, and Brendan. Somewhat ponderous, if you ask me. Who, Brendan? No, that song... Uh, yeah. Okay. So, all right. What are you chaps talking about? Um, what was it, John? Look, if you if you dry up, I can always do I'm this. Just <laughs> <about> <laughs> well, I can start talking about kissing if you like. But are you ready for that? No, no, no. Now no, we. No, no. Oh no. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> what are we starting with? Uh, well, I haven't finished with the sausage dogs yet. Oh, so fantastic! Because. <laughs> Can I tell you, people don't know how to raise children or train dogs, and I love idiotic dog owner stories. Well, what it is, sausage dogs, I think, have taken it out on that woman because they're uh, they're ill-treated generally around the world. They make them wear those little bread rolls, uh, which makes them look like a sausage. Have you seen those? I haven't, but that's hilarious. (laughs) Which has the kind of squiggly line of sauce down the back. Yeah, it sounds like a good use for them. Which surely is humiliating. And they're short, 
and they're they know they're short. I think I think they absolutely <coughs> know it. And uh, this woman uh, apparently used to stop and say hello to them every morning, and they'd be bouncing up and down and yapping and saying hello. Um, and she'd smile at them, and that's I think her problem, showing them her teeth mm. every morning. You, know. mm. and you one never morning, do that. One morning the gate was open, and bingo. Out they came. Where, 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 it was a mother and seven pups. Where in the world did this happen? Only in America. Fantastic. Mm. Yeah, the other thing is humans make the mistake of speaking English to animals. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it should just be a sharp guttural command, not stop or don't. Well, apparently in the uh, all the zoos, they, they to they train the animals to listen to either English or uh, German or Swahili or Swahili perhaps there's not many zoos in Swahili um, but they never never use French doesn't it just doesn't work because it just uh, they won't respond they just it's fall in love it's, it's too chic it's too chic so they yeah. the German or English are the guttural ones so she probably should have said something to them in German. But um, I, is this all we've got to talk about, Dashun? No, no. no. Well, you know, I wanted to, if I could continue on to animals who punish their uh, either neighbours or owners, you know. Orcas, for instance, are completely and utterly unknown to attack people. Uh, the wolves of the sea. Except for... Keepers in uh, aquariums. A couple of them have been killed by orcas. Yeah, they've and, been drowned. They were, yeah. They've gone on top of them, pushed them down under. And their acts of vengeance. Precisely. My, my brother was a reptile keeper at the Melbourne Zoo, and the elephant people said, never be alone with an elephant. They, will, they remember you and they don't like you. They're sick of all this imprisonment. They'll come up and they'll start leaning against you very lightly and you don't suspect a thing. Next thing, you're being crushed to death yep. against a wall. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's the same with cows. More people die from crush, being crushed by cows than they do by bulls. C- certainly in England, they do. Mm. Often those... You know how you have free passage over yes. fences in England yes. for the bush war? Yes. Pa- apparently... The rangers, they call themselves. Mm, apparently. Wranglers. They get attacked by cows uh, fairly often. And the owners are often quite happy. Mm. Mm. Dairy cows? <laughs> yeah, you're just your you're stock <laughs> just standard a, bloody... Uh, Daisy? Does the owners train their dairy cows to attack walkers? <clears throat> no, I, look, I've seen... I've got cows around my, my place in Turong, and I've, I saw a, um, an eagle, wedge-tailed eagle, mm. land on the ground not far from the cows and the mm. calves. But there was one cow who was much closer. Sound effects. Immediately, yeah, immediately that the, the eagle landed, that cow just went straight for it, like it, like it went for it and the other the whole whole herd followed her without even thinking or looking they just they were all after that eagle that eagle got out of it very quickly. they're very they're amazing um, much more interesting than horses i think i remember cows. hearing a radio report about cows uh standing generally all facing the same direction and generally uh i think east west mm. uh but I realised afterwards it was the 1st of April when I heard that. Ah, so they, they were the, the famed compass cows, were they? <laughs> you know you can tip them over when they're asleep. They do that in America. Like That's, cow tipping. Yeah. yeah, cow tipping is a pursuit. Mm. Mm, almost as interesting as racing um, semi-trailers, I guess. Without the... Without oh. the 
bit on the back. Yeah, exactly. Or the other one they do is um, they go on the Mississippi, they go carp hunting because there's a huge carp problem. It's a real pest in the Mississippi. Mm. And they go along in the speedboats with baseball bats in their hands. And when they when the carp hear the speedboats, they go mad and they come flying out of the water. And, they, and uh, the object is to smash it mm. over the head with yeah. a baseball bat. Well, I'm never amused by your, your meat. I'm never amused by cruelty, culling, but you know, not cruelty. That's, it's like the people that play golf with cane toads. Oh, yes. It's yeah. a bit rough, a isn't bit it? bit messy. It's awful. But the carp is an um, extraordinary fish. Apparently it's because it just eats everything. Mm, it's goldfish it's, carp. They are goldfish, are they? That's the same as a, as a household goldfish. Mm. Yeah. That's a carp. It's a gigantic goldfish. Well, we're omnivores. That's why we're so successful. Yes. It's very adaptable. Very much so. Uh, not you, me. You You're an inflexible me. fellow. Uh, no, I'm quite flexible in the right, right situations. We'll get, that, we'll get on to kissing a bit <laughs> later, Mark. So what are we talking about now? Are you finished with your... Yeah, look, I've had enough Your zoological, yeah. you know... I think yeah, we should so just go straight into kissing. It. You guys are... Uh, okay, come on, let's have it. Okay, so <clears throat> do you remember your first kiss? No. What kind of kiss? Well, just your first kiss for the girl. Oh, oh boy, I don't know. So what not your a first kiss, kiss from your mother, clearly. No, of course not. I'm still trying to erase the, f- the thought of my grandmother slipping her tongue in my mouth. <laughs> well, look, mm. that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> There's places you can go and for now that. now we <laughs> have to erase that thought, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the etymology of kissing is... Um, Cushion from Old Norse, Kisa, Frisian, Kisa, it's all very kikuku. Except for Sanskrit, which is kumbati. Some languages make a distinction between the kiss of affection, and not the kiss of death, but the that of erotic love, as in Latin, seriari, for erotic kiss, and osculum, meaning literally little mouth, for small mm. kiss. The French use embrasser, which is in fact literally means to embrace. Mm. It doesn't mean to kiss, because the word baiser, which was the original word until the 17th century, became uh, used in another way, which is to basically F U word um, ah. est-ce que vous voulez baiser is um, a lovely way of saying something quite blunt yes. in English so this is from an article I've gleaned from a woman called Sharon Bradley uh, in the Good Weekend oh. which you probably all missed can I ask you a question Mark mm-hmm. question Mark oh. <laughs> is this your segment Yes, I thought it was our segment because your segment's coming up, you know. Oh, I see. Well, look, I'm doing a little bit of my segment now and, and more later, if you You'll like. You'll have to abandon like a, like, the rules. Like one. a worm you cut in half. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The early... No, the late worm survives. Just remember that one. Ah. Uh-huh. It's not the early bird. Um, so, all right, will I continue here? Or yes. We, yes. An adult female primate signals... <clears throat> to a prospective male that she will be receptive to his amorous advances by showing him her genitals. Yes. This is no longer the case. When she's in oestrus, which is a lovely word, I think, yes. at, her, at her most fertile, her labia becomes swollen and more brightly coloured to attract his attention. Okay? When we all became vertical, our fertility flashing undersides became our fronts. Now, this is talking about evolution, okay? Biological evolution, that's all it is. Making the lips a visual stand-in for the labia and the breasts an anatomical substitute for the buttocks. Yes. Our lips, unusually in the animal kingdom, are everted. Isn't that a lovely word, everted? 
The soft, cushiony part of them is permanently expo- exposed, boosting their allure. They are also densely packed with nerve endings. Breastfeeding is deeply pleasurable, if you remember. Do you remember? No? Only, For babies? Only parts. Okay. Yeah. And apparently our pursuit of a romantic kiss is in adulthood, this is Freud, is our way of trying to replicate the physical bliss of that early closeness and the same emotional bond. Well, well, I tried a, explaining that monkey business with um, a couple of girls on a couch at a party about how, in fact, the makeup that were, they were wearing was a kind of replication of a monkey's ass. <laughs> <laughs> that would have gone. <laughs> we, I hope you weren't. Pla- John. I hope you weren't planning on getting lucky at that party. <laughs> as long as it wasn't your sister or your mother. The lips are our most visible erogenous zone and a portal through which most our most basic functions, like sustenance, speech, yelling at people stuck in the right-hand lane, and breathing. The kiss is suggestive of another possibility, and for a brief moment, the potency of promise. Yes. When we kiss our heads, usually tilting to the right in an echo of our earliest postnatal position, mm-hmm. most new mothers are left breast dominant, but the right breast is fighting back. The movement of the muscles that control our lips and tongue causes five of our 12 cranial nerves, sight, hearing, touch, smell and taste, to launch a sensory reconnaissance of our partner. Okay. If the brain's limbic system likes the incoming data, an array of chemical messengers... Data. data, data romantic. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Flitting from synapse to synapse disseminates that data to our nerve cells, stimulating a release of a heady cocktail of neurotransmitters and hormones all saying, yes. Who would have known? We, we. Who would have Just a simple kiss. Mm. But, Test- oh, well, like they say, a kiss is... Just a kiss. A lie is just a lie. Testosterone fires libido. Men tend to like sloppier, wetter kisses than women because their saliva contains a lot of testosterone. Not mine. Then a dopamine surge stokes feeling of romantic love while a spike in oxytocin fosters attachment and serotonin causes us to have obsessive thoughts about the other person we have been kissing. Mm. All the while our breathing is deepening, our pupils dilate and our pulse quickens. We are also literally sniffing out our partner's genetic code. Our, this, is all, this is all just in a case. Our sebaceous yes. glands, which generate our individual scent or musk that you were talking about, yes. are most highly concentrated around our noses, necks, faces, and armpits. We are most strongly attracted to partners whose scent excuse me, is different to our own, ensuring more variation in our major histocompatibility complex, a group of genes that control how our immune system defends itself and how you keep away from your sister. And any offspring reap the rewards of genetic diversity. Or in your case, one, your grandmother. Keep away from your sister. This good, is why. Good, good hint. Advice. Yes, advice. How do you remember all this? <laughs> <laughs> so if you think about the bastards, famous bastards like Leonardo da Vinci, you understand. Mm. While men can manufacture an infinite supply of sperm, it is extraordinary how much sperm is flying about every day and night. Apparently morning's the best time. Uh, like dying. Pity more, anybody? You know that one? Pity yep. more? A little yep. death. Yep. Yeah. So an infinite supply of sperm with which to impregnate a limitless number of partners. Think of uh, Genghis Khan, 1,200 children. A woman comes to her sexual maturity with only 400 eggs and 33 years of fertility ahead of her. So from an evolutionary point of view, the pressure is on to choose her mate well. Kiss me, wrote Sylvia Plath, and you will know how important I am. Mm. She was a good poet. 
lovely and a great poet. <clears throat> but you know there's a large group of women who are trying to um, have Ted Hughes uh, sort of post-castrated and damned because of... Uh, what he did to Sylvia. Well, that he left her and mm. that she had to... She gassed herself. Apparently she put um, towels mm. in front of the children's bedroom when she gassed herself. That was very considerate. Very considerate. Whereas his second wife also gassed herself, and but she took the children with her. Do you think it... In the then his third wife, he just made sure he had an electric oven. I was going to say, do you think Ted in the middle of the night just whispered in their ear, gas yourself? <laughs> Listen, well, it was a hard one for him. But if, if you, I mean, if you read his poetry, he's extraordinary. You know, what he, he very good poet, up yeah. there with Philip Larkin. I don't blame anyone for anything. How dare you bring up the poet Larkin's name like that? <laughs> well, so thank you for reducing the act of love to a molecular level. I might bring us back to no, a this more... Is, this is more biological all right. and, we're, and it's all that just in a kiss if you think what? about it all the, all the information which is well, going it's on really, it's all very interesting Mark and I will be terrified next time I kiss kiss mm. well I'm going to bring you all back to a more romantic level mm. with Crazy in Love by Beyonce oh. yeah and now it's time for John Paul you heard the man Mm. John, just before you start, I just oh. want to say a short thing about Beyonce. She, yes. Apparently she started a company that um, collects all the misshapen fruit that people, um, fruits, uh, grocery stores won't buy and turns it into juices and sells it to um, people who have... Um, Paul, you nearly said Paul people. I, I did, yes. How can you say <laughs> challenge, financially challenged people, uh, which is a lovely thing to be doing. So mm. And it. it started a worldwide movement. They do that here in Australia oh, as well. Oh, good. Yeah, that's, that's it's great. It's food bank, I believe. Okay. It's very good. Mm. Thanks for that. Is it time for John on now? Or food bonk, or as you French Beyonce say. on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, pardon me. I beg your pardon. <laughs> Gee, John's getting a bit shirty, isn't he? Oh, <laughs> scratchy boy. All right, scratchy boy. When I was a young man. Yeah. And uh, living in studios around the city of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. One of which I think a friend of yours moved into after I'd decamped. Yeah, Vic. Vic Maridis. Did he? Yeah, and mm. you'd left this monstrous black painting on the wall that mm. was this overwrought, sort of hideous dark. It took me about 15 coats of paint to cover it. Yeah, that was my uh, my Goya. Ah, mm. you know what happened to Goya, don't you? Was it Goya? I don't know. Which one? Which? Where? Who was... Francesco died, in, to, died in, death. in France. Oh, well, the, who was the one that was killed by the police? Um, Garcia Lorca. Yes. He was... Uh, up, the rifle. The, mm, the, terrible, terrible. The rectum, yeah. Terrible. When I was a young man... Yes. Uh, having my Goya era and living in studios and um, just starting to have exhibitions in Hawthorne. I'd been doing that for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um I was constantly looking around for new studios, for spaces, you know, old buildings were everywhere and uh, often you could get into them quite easily, breaking and entering, although more entering than breaking, I have to say, often the doors were open. And uh, I went into, down at the bottom of Burke Street, there's a place (coughs) called Hudson's Stores, used to sell naval... Yes, um, I remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Naval disposals. And there was a pub on the corner, like a red brook, brick, horrible-looking little pub over the road from the uh, Spencer Street Railway Station, it was called. And in between those two was a red brick Victorian building, about five storeys high, and I went up to the top of there one morning, 
and uh, walked in the back door of the top floor and there was this huge space with this vast um, cowrie floorboard floor. Beautiful Mm. space, lots of light sort of laying around inside there. And time-worn timber. Yeah, and I just thought, oh, this is a beautiful place, beautiful space. Maybe I could come and work in here for a while. And as I was wandering around thinking about it, the door opened behind me and a couple of young fellas came in and I kind of looked at them and they looked back and I said, g'day, and they said, uh, we're squatting here, like claiming it, you know. And I said, well... So am I. Where's all your stuff? Yeah. And they said, we haven't got any stuff. I said, well, squatting involves stuff. You've got to put stuff in the place if you're going to squat. You know, I could go I could go back to where I am at the moment, come back here with an easel, and then I'm squatting here. And a squatter must welcome other squatters, surely. Well, you'd think so, but they weren't... They were kind of a bit... Yeah. Odd. Priperatorial. Yeah, something. Yeah. It sounds like a Western. You're going to pull out your, your Smith and Western soon. Yeah, uh, range war. Yeah. Mm. Cult. Cult. So I left that alone, but I had been, while I was there, looking out the window at Spencer Street Railway Station. Mm, a, a pretty sight back then. Yeah. Not. No, it was. I liked the 60s architecture, the... And uh, the whole railway station was kind of like Victoria Market with trains. Yeah, and there was a mural, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Carry Tran- on. Transport, the mural was called. Ah. No, but what people, maybe any younger listeners who might be listening is, have to understand is that the 70s... What would some younger listener be doing listening? <laughs> well, no, exactly, John. But the, you know, the, the, the 70s was a time of, of... There were many empty buildings because of the, the, um, the, after the oil crisis, there was a huge economic downturn. And um, suddenly there were people weren't renting and people were just abandoned buildings. Like, yeah. you know, I had the Bourne Welsh building. Which offered opportunities. For, for a lot of people, yeah. yeah. Decentralisation as well was also, very yeah, much in vogue. That's true. A lot of, yeah. lot of people moved out into the suburbs. Talking a lot of businesses. about decentralisation, I decided at that very moment to go across the road, buy a ticket to some country town and go and spend a night away, which I sometimes did. What a dude. And I uh, walked over there and I bought a ticket to Hopeton. And ah. uh, the train took me as far as uh, Ballarat, I think it was, or Bendigo, Ballarat, perhaps. I mixed those two up as well. Uh, <laughs> And then I had to get on a bus. Oh, my Lord. To Hopeton. It was a long way on a bus. And when I got to Hopeton, there's nothing in Hopeton. There's, there's no hope in Hopeton. <laughs> <laughs> it's hopeless. Yeah. Except for a main intersection with three pubs, a pub on each corner, and on the other corner is the uh, like uh, council buildings. And I was wandering, hanging around near the pubs, and there was a sign outside the council building said um, something like Arid Paddock Painters Exhibition or something. And I thought, okay, well, I'll go and have a look, you know. And by this time, it's 5.30 in the afternoon, 6 o'clock. You've got nowhere to stay. No, I was already booked into the O Motel. And um, I walked in and this there was a woman in there and uh, she said, oh, hello, how are you going? And welcome, you know, and we're having an opening tonight. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, uh, would you like to sign the book? And so I signed the book and uh, she looked at the book and then a little while later she came over and she said, are you John Baird who has exhibitions in Melbourne at the gallery in Hawthorne at Eastgate Gallery? I said, yeah, I am. 
And she said, oh, my God, it's wonderful to have you here. Cause célèbre. Yeah. Is that beautiful, Frank? Cause célèbre, yes. <laughs> I'm um, waking up. Come on. Yeah, this is good. No, I like this story. <laughs> no, I was nodding off there for a moment, but go on. She said, I wonder if you'd do me a favour. And I said, what's that? And she said, well... All of th- this is a prize, and all the prizes have been decided, and there's been some remarks written about them. I wonder if you would read... And I can't have said, oh, all right, you know. What? You've... And I can't have said, oh, all right, you know. What? You've gone to hope to nothing happening. Suddenly you're the talk <laughs> of the town, and you're at a gallery. It is right up your boulevard. Yes, however... Uh, I was introduced and everyone was interested and then I started to look around at what the prize winners might be. Talk about Kel Horror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there was no indication that I hadn't made these decisions myself, you know. That, um, and I wasn't going to say, listen, I didn't make these decisions. I've just been handed the job of reading them out. I've been flown in. Yeah. And then when I started reading the commentary on some of the pictures, I mean, they said things like, oh, you'll all be familiar with Beres's efforts and no doubt with Beres herself, you'll see her around Hopeton all the time with her easel in her straw hat. This picture is influenced by Vincent van Gogh, a Dutch painter who worked in France. <laughs> and I thought, well, the influence goes as far as the straw hat perhaps, you know, but apart from that, not really. <laughs> she, did she have red hair? Did she have a red beard? <laughs> Practically. Well, was she Saul's uh, <laughs> ear roll? Did, did her neighbours have Dachans? <laughs> um, so I, I went, I, uh, it was awful. It was a horrid evening. And uh, I slunk back to the O Motel. Well, they gave me a whole lot of cheap wine. You know, yeah, well, I, couldn't have been too I, horrible. I insulted them all and then slunk back to the motel. Like some big city smart-ass yes. artist. Well, oh. they insulted me back with exactly that kind of attitude. You know, how dare you come here and judge us? And I was saying, listen, I didn't do any of the judging. I was just reading it out, man, you know. Give me another glass of that cask wine. Yeah, I didn't write yeah. this stuff. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> John, do you remember when, we, um, when I judged the p- painting at um, Prize at Sorrento? Uh, yes, the, I do. The commentator. Yeah. I remember the the woman who, who I chose who was she must have been in the late sixties, maybe Heather White. Heather White, it's a lovely name. And the, and the, um, my girlfriend to- told me that the look on her face when her name when I pulled out her name was just amazing, and that her whole family were just ecstatic that she'd won this. Yeah, it, can, it can be a great pleasure. It can be a great pleasure mm. for people. Yeah, and I'm sure that the winner of this particular prize was delighted. Delighted also. The achievement result. of a lifetime. Mm. Back on the bus the next morning, back on the train, back with, to Spencer Street. With a nasty little hangover, I would think. Nasty and, hangover. And the whole building had been squatted. <laughs> so I went upstairs and half of the top floor floorboarding was missing. Oh. <laughs> so they were stealing They were there timber. to steal the cowrie off the floor. Right. Mm. That's yes, awful. well, that happened in uh, Beaucaire in the village where I had my studio. They, they had all all the buildings had stone floors, and it was called the Bar de Beaucaire, and they were fifty centi- sixty by sixty centimeters square, right. uh, stone by about five or six centimeters. Beautiful, 
yeah. limestone. Very sought after. Very much yeah. sought after by people who made, put them into their gardens and, yeah. and they'd pay sort of under cash for them. But they just destroyed the building. It was terrible to see. But it happened so. So did they have to pull the building down to get the floor out? No, they just put horrible tiles in their place. Oh, right. A sad, lonely tale. Can I cheer you up with a song, yes. chaps? This again is from... <laughs> Could you? The B-list. And again, it's a song I've never heard in my entire life. But let's give it a whack, chaps. This is Candyman by Christina Aguilera. Mm. Yes, each week we get in a pet hipster to play with his typewriter, don't we? That's the news theme, but apparently you guys are just dry as a bone on news. So why don't we call this a bit of a chaps foray into... What? The, well, artworks um, based on the kiss. Yeah, well, there is, of course, the kiss. Which one? Well, there's a um, the there are, stone one. There are many the kisses, actually. Oh, yeah. And there's, there's, I know there's a... Um, there's Gustav Klimt. Yeah, He's Gustav the kiss Klimt. from 1908. He was, he was in all your girlfriend's house. Yeah. Well, they weren't really girlfriends. Just of that, that time when you were early 20s, mm. girls and boys, no gender politics uh, implied. You'd, you'd, you'd get lucky at a nightclub and you'd go home and there's you'd go the in there. And there's always the kiss by Klimt on the wall. They sold a lot of those, didn't they? The prints, yep. yep. Very much. I think it was the flatness. It was a yeah. sort of also a little bit of perspective just in the faces and the, and the leg would come. He, he was very much influenced by um, the Austrian um, Emil uh, Enel, Clay. Oh no, no. Um, um, oh, I forget. I'll get his name. Emil Schulgensacker. Yeah. Uh, uh, Klimt was in fact a highly decorative artist. Ski, Egon Schiel. Oh yeah. Ah Schiel. Mm. Ah Schiel. Mm. There's a great Klimt joke in. Um, Back to school with Rodney Dangerfield. He was rich. His wife was a terrible bitch taking all his money and he, he abandoned it all and went back to school with his kid at sort of middle age. But there was this fancy party in his apartment. He's just a rich Vulgarian and his wife's all your girl. And um, this, this chap's looking at this beautiful painting on the wall. He says, oh, I just adore your wife's Klimt, Mr. Mellon. He says, yeah, you and everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Okay, so there's there's Brancusi's The Kiss. Oh, yeah. Which is the... Ah, the beauty... Oh, Peggy Guggenheim owns that. Or really? owns, she bought that. The, what, the, yeah, because... Is yeah. that the long... She probably went to bed with him as well. No, his, his is the small oh. limestone with it. It's very kitsch. Is it a head, on, a head on its side? Two heads together with oh, just okay. a slit I've between s- the middle of them. I've seen that. Yeah. The long, tall one is bird in flight. Ah, that's the one she bought. Well, yeah. there's more than one of them. There's uh-huh. quite a few. The other kiss is Rodin's, oh, Le Baiser. Yeah. And that is the couple who enlaced. Yeah. Rodin uh, didn't touch any marble. He was only a modeler. He never sculpted yeah. with uh, hammer and chisel. He had people cut it for he him. He had very good people doing it for him. One of whom was called Claudie, Camille Claudel. Oh. And she was a very good sculptress and she was 19 he was 48 and they became lovers and she was the model for that kiss so there was a bit of a lot involved. of going on there right. and he uh, if you look on the in, in, in the interior of that sculpture if you ever get a chance you can see that there's a, a quite large marble erection 
How would one mm. get a look at the interior of a sculpture? Well, the thing oh, about... Oh, you mean within the work? Rodin, Rodin's idea was to, for his sculptures, like the Burgers of Calais, was to put them on the ground so that right. people could actually be a part of it. They weren't up on a pedestal. He was against mm. the pedestal. But, of course, after his death, people had to put... Things had to be put on pedestals to protect them. But the, the kiss was also made in that sense. It was supposed to be on the ground so you could look around. And if you were interested, you could look inside. Mm. Because the most, Camille Claudel was uh, very beautiful and well-formed. And it's a, a quite... Um, the other thing about Rodin was that he was um, short-sighted. So he could only see forms. He couldn't see the details. Mm. And that's why his sculptures, which he made all in three-quarter size, so it's just in clay, and then had them enlarged and then turned into bronze. or to, It was a real business. He a lot a of... Uh, form. Go on. Yes, go on. Well, my introduction to Rodin, of course, was on The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. Of course. Yeah. Who's that? What's that? What? I have no idea what he That was a seminal say. TV show back in the very early 60s, <laughs> maybe even 1960 or earlier, and Dobie would converse with the camera down the barrel about his travails, his romantic travails, and he'd be in the thinker position... And behind him was a, was a copy of the thinker. Okay, the thinker is not the thinker. The thinker was an athlete who was resting after having done a marathon. Rest like that. Yeah, he was resting like that. Okay. And a critic called it the thinker, whereas ah. in Rodin, he wasn't a thinker at all. It was an athlete, a tired athlete. Well, too late for that too one. Too late for that one. <laughs> that bus has left the station. <laughs> As now, there's was a lot of smooching going on in Japanese, Japanese wood blocks. Yes, yes. Yeah, they always have a tissue. The tissue is a sign of eroticism also and Kleenex well the erect penis would have been a dead giveaway too because there was plenty of that in those quite a lot so yes quite enlarged all the all the genitals were quite enlarged Mm. yeah or Um, normal in my case as you might (laughs) (laughs) in a Japanese sense perhaps maybe not in the western but uh, no those um, they were called pillow books and they were given to to young girls and boys to teach them about the possibilities of what they were had absolutely no idea about and and it's unfortunate that we were never given these sort of magnificent um, pillow books it would have which were much better than Hustler or Penthouse would have prevented a lot of pain a lot of pain yeah um, Any other famous kiss works? Uh, well, no, that's about a rock all. band. I was, I was hoping, uh, I was hoping you'd come up with something, um, something else. Do you know? As I was driving into the studio today, I saw a living representation of what might be a surrealist painting by I don't know Man Ray or Magritte, one mm. of those. There was a man, a well-dressed man, walking along the road holding in front of him a shiny oven tray covered, filled with pebbles. Mm. And he was just walking along with that out in front of him. Mm. Am I? What, what? Was no dash hounds involved? No. no but they could have been just around the corner. No, he was like a middle-aged, daggy-looking man. Perhaps he's a geologist. Or yeah. mad. But a mad geologist. Mm. Okay, well, that's all. No, Mark, you have plenty more. Well, <coughs> well look, I, 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 we've, in the last remaining minutes, could I bring up Peggy Guggenheim? Oh, oh, Peggy Yes, Guggenheim. Peggy and Longlegs. Now, she was married to um, Max Ernst for two she, years. She was, but he, he was a very handsome, flamboyant womanizer and caused him nothing but pain. No. And a very good artist, too. Yep. Yeah. Quite uh, a lot of different styles. Yeah. But mm. Peggy weathered it all. I'd just like to say to you chaps that she was almost singularly responsible for New York's 
very deep and prevailing reputation as a centre of modern art. Very true. Yep, she was she she was the early um, adopter, as they would say. Yes, yes. supporter of uh, Pollock and Company. Correct. She could put up with his peccadilloes, which were many. Well, she was the true patron and did it for the love. And she 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 also loved men. She had yeah, a, she and, and was had was fearless, independently wealthy, could do it exactly what she liked. Had and lovely she had, long legs and had a huge ego. She had a, she had a very bad nose. It was a botched nose job. It was very puttyish and awful. She also had this strange mannerism that. Then I saw on film as I was watching Peggy Guggenheim, Art Addict, mm. uh, she would occasionally poke her tongue out as she s- was speaking. Mm. Just the just oh. a rounded tongue, nothing very strange. Snake-like. Tick. No, not snake-like at all, just rather annoying. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I can I'm do doing that. it to you now, yeah, yeah. and how annoying is that? But um, So you never went to her private house, which has been turned into a museum the, in Venezia. The Palazzo. It's a magnificent spot. I if bet you were going is. there, make sure it's winter, not you, summer. You and lucky it's the, duck. Um, mm. Is that the basis for the Venice Biennale? Uh, I don't think so, no. The Venice Biennale was started, it was one of the first Biennales in 1897, oh, I think, okay. or 98. Right. So she, this was after. Yeah. You must remember that uh, Picasso was refused entry into the Venice Biennale of 1910. As he should have been. She was then invited to lend her collection to the Biennale one year. when it was starting to become in vogue. So I would then put it to you, chaps, that she is responsible for for Venice's place in the... Uh, no, you're pushing the envelope. Am I there, forcing it? Absolutely. No, no, the, the um, John uh, John Ruskin was a big, was a bit very much involved in Venice as no, well. No, I meant as, a, as a, a centre of modern art. Mm, well, Ruskin would be considered one of the sort of the first critics of a, of a modernising art. Now, as any but, good... Sorry, as any good radio producer should say, we've got about... 18 seconds. Anything special or poignant you'd like to say, chaps? Well, the Queensland University Press and their gender politics are very questionable as far as writers are concerned. They're telling them what they have to write about and who and which gender they can use. That is outrageous. It is a scandal. Sorry. Not good enough, everybody. We'll see you next week.